our scripture is from Galatians 6, first 10 verses, and then 15 and 16. My brothers and sisters, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work, then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh, but if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us now not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. As for those who will follow this rule, peace be upon them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Let it be a kind of rule, a ruler, a measure in our lives to help us stay close to the measure of your son. In his name we pray, amen. I really like this uh, story I heard. It's very brief. Uh, it's by a guy named Roy Underhill. Roy Underhill is one of the few reasons TV should exist. Uh, Roy, uh, for like over 20 years, maybe 30 years, um, was on North Carolina public television doing a show called The Woodwright's Shop. And uh, he'd do one take and he'd build something out of wood. Um, and then he went on to become a woodworking instructor and that's kind of what he does now along with some other stuff. And, and so now he teaches these classes and whenever he preps the wood for these woodworking classes, uh, he, he puts each you know, stack of wood, he puts it at each workbench where the students are going to work, and he thinks about what the students are going to do to the wood. But he also thinks about what the wood is going to do to the student. So he's, you know, he's looking at the wood and he looks at the grain and he wonders, you know, the way the grain dips here, I wonder how they're going to handle that, or what are they going to do with this knot, or on and on. I think about that a lot. I think about it in the context of not just woodworking, but what it means to become human. <clears throat> what it means to become human. How do we become more human, more fully human? We're thinking a lot about this right now, what it means to be human. And there's two ways to look at this question. One is the question of, well, what's human and what isn't? And I'm with Stanley Hauerwas on this that says that if we're asking the question of what is human and what isn't human, there's something inhuman about that question. 
Why do we get to decide that? But the other form of that question is, what does it mean to become fully human? What does it mean to grow and to become the full human that we were meant to be? And how do we get there? We've been looking at the early church quite a bit, and uh, this Sunday we're going to kind of wrap this up. Um, we're going to get to the point where we're where we're saying essentially um, that we're going to try to wrap up the first thousand years, which you know, which is crazy. I mean, there's there's no way to wrap that up, but we do have to move on. Um, and as I was thinking about how to do this, I was thinking about one of the central questions that the church was asking itself in the first thousand years is essentially, what does it mean to be fully human and fully alive? Um, in the very beginning, this was martyrdom. So Ignatius, one of the very first martyrs, is, is writing some letters as he's on his way to martyrdom. And in one of the letters, he says, don't, 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 uh, don't hold me back from this. I feel the birth pangs of this moment, of this moment of becoming fully alive. Ignatius equated martyrdom with becoming fully alive. He equated dying to fully living. A little bit later, Irenaeus, one of the other early church fathers, he said that the glory of God is a human fully alive. And so it seemed clear in those first couple hundred years, 300 years or so, uh, that martyrdom was the way to be fully alive. But what happens if you're not persecuted? What happens if Christianity is now legal? It's okay to be Christian. So we, we talked about this a little bit. We talked about how people fled into the desert and they found ways to, to grow in their humanity by, by, through deprivation, through suffering. And so they would wear things called hair shirts. You know what a hair shirt is? It's just what it sounds like, and just as awful as it sounds. Human hair made into a shirt, and they'd wear these shirts, and you can imagine how uncomfortable that was. And so what they were trying to do, it's just an example, they thought, through being uncomfortable, that sort of suffering will lead me to a greater humanity. If I'm comfortable, then I won't be fully human. Took, took some time, but eventually they realized that, you know, you don't need a hair shirt to be uncomfortable. Um, you don't need to be 40 days in the desert without shade to suffer. Um, all you need is other people. All you need is other people. It turns out in our relationships with other people, that is the space, that is the, the uh, workshop uh, for becoming fully human. That's how we grow into full human beings. Not through starving ourselves in the desert, not through only eating bitter greens, but through simply this, relationships with other people. There was, uh, th this wisdom was distilled in something called the rule of Saint Benedict. And it's you could argue that one of the greatest things that the first thousand years gave us was that rule, the rule of St. Benedict. Um, and, but the rule of St. Benedict is misnamed. It's not the rule of St. Benedict. It should be called the rule of Christ. 
Um, and the reason it should be called the rule of Christ is it really grows out of what Paul is doing in writing to the churches in the first, um, the first years, first decades of the church's existence. And he would, Paul was, specifically, we have it in Galatians. Paul talks about the rule of Christ, or later he calls the, um, or earlier he calls the law of Christ, and then he calls it the rule of Christ. And by rule, we're literally talking like a ruler, like a measure, or something like that. And so Benedict had this idea that, that you know, what, what if we sort of stretch this out a little bit, what Paul's talking about here in Galatians 6, what if we stretch this out into a little, a little booklet, a handbook, about how to be human, essentially? I mean, have you ever wanted that? Have you ever just, like, where is the instruction book for this thing called being human? Benedict thought, yeah, I can give you one. Let's, let's write it. And what's so interesting about this rule, he calls it a, a little rule for beginners. It's for people just starting out. He had tons of respect for these desert fathers, these people in the desert who, you know, who could, who could not eat for 40 days, who could not say a word for 20 years, who could sit on top of a column their whole lives. He had tons of respect for these people, but he said, you know, before you get there into the heights of spirituality where where you know, you're in touch with God and communing constantly, before you're there, you gotta do some pretty practical stuff. And so the rule of St. Benedict, surprisingly, is extremely practical. I mean, it's, it's about like when to eat, when to sleep, how long to sleep, what to sleep in. You know, one of the parts that I love about in the rule is that uh, it's really important that when you go to bed, you do not bring your knife with you. Don't sleep with your knife in your cloak. That's, that's clearly laid out in the rule of St. Benedict. But it's that kind of like extremely practical kind of reasoning. He's not saying, you know, here's the, the, seven, the seven steps to, you know, spiritual fulfillment. This is just how to be a human being in community. And one of my favorite things about it, um, mainly because I like woodworking, is, because, is that he, he likens it to being in a workshop. He says that being human is being in a workshop, and the workshop is other people. And the tools to be with other people are given to us by Christ, and we pick them up, we use them every day, we put them back at the end of the day, and then we do it again the next day. And he says there's about 72 rules there are 72 um, tools that we use uh, to relate to one another. And over time, these get well-worn in the hand so that they just become an extension of us. Um, Nate and I have talked about this. Nate's dad is an artist. Nate also is an artist. Um, his dad is a lifelong artist. And some of his tools have been so well-worn that they just fit in his hand. They couldn't fit in anyone else's hand quite the same way. And that's what the tools become like for us, the tools of being human. Eventually, they become so accustomed to being in our hand that we, we just use them without thinking. And we become more and more human as we go. So what are these, what are these tools that he gives us, uh, that we're lent by Christ? Well, we find them in Galatians 6, and we find them in the Rule of Benedict. I'm not going to give you all 72 um, but we're gonna, just going to group them into two categories. One category is honesty, 
And the other category is peace. So a bunch of tools that have to do with honesty, telling the truth, and a bunch of tools that have to do with peace. Let's start with honesty. Uh, when I started in woodworking, I used to think that woodworking was all about control. And that was what I really liked about it. I couldn't control other areas of my life. I couldn't control my bills. I couldn't control people. I couldn't even control parts of myself. But I liked woodworking because I thought I could just control wood. Turns out you can't do that. <laughs> um, even the most simplest form of woodworking, splitting wood, is not about control. Um, my boys, when they have helped me with this, they know this well, that whenever we're splitting a piece of wood, uh, what, do we, what do we do first, Sam? What's the first thing we do? Do you remember? You don't remember? We have to ask, do you remember, Miles? We have to ask the wood how it wants to be split. So, for instance, on this log, there's, a, there's already a check here, and that's where we're going to split the wood. Now, not where the knot is and not these other places. So I can't just come up with my maul, my splitting maul, to a piece of wood and just split it wherever I want. In the early days I did that and I split maybe three rounds in two hours. Um, that was unproductive and very frustrating and exhausting. Uh, but there's a better way to do it and it's by consulting the wood and finding out where the wood wants to be split if it wants to be split at all. Some pieces of Siberian elm do not wish to be split. What does this have to do with honesty? When we tell the truth about ourselves, when we tell the truth about other people, we bring our fantasies about ourselves into the light of day. So, for instance, Paul talks about, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. All must test their own work. Paul rips into people who make a show of their faith but aren't authentic. For Benedict, for Benedict, honesty looks like this. Not lying, not even caring deceit in your heart, even being honest about our death. Daily mindful is what he says, being daily mindful that we're all going to die. We have to have moments where we bring the, the fantasies and the lies about who we think we are, who we think, the, who we think is out to get us, or whatever, what we think the world is like. We have to bring it out in the open to be tested. Sandy and I are celebrating 20 years of marriage. And Sandy says that marriage is, I, I really like this, this description. Um, I think about it all the time. Marriage is sort of this slow, gradual shaping of a person, knocking off the rough edges so that two people can be more closely joined to each other. Early woodworkers weren't called woodworkers, they were called joiners. Because the main thing you needed to do with wood was to join other pieces of wood to it. And in order to make two pieces of wood join together, they have to fit. And a lot of woodworking is just figuring out how to make them ship, fit, shaping two pieces of wood so that they can fit together. So that's how you make chests, that's how you make tables, doors, chairs. The rough parts have to be broken off before wood can go together at well, and so it is with us. We have to be honest about ourselves if we're going to be able to be joined to something bigger, 
in the world. And that includes more than just ourselves. So in order to be human, it's not to achieve our own personal dreams. To be human is not having an idea of the way the world should be and imposing that on everybody around us. To be human is not to control. Rather, it's being honest about what's inside of us and seeing what needs to be chiseled away in order to be part of the larger human community. We can't be human without other humans. We can't be human apart from community. So that's the first, that's the first kind of category of tools. The second category of tools is, has to do with peace. So Paul says in Galatians 6, restore one another in a spirit of gentleness, bear one another's burdens, work for the good of all. And then Benedict says, don't retaliate, don't gossip, do not let the sun go down on your anger, pray for your enemies, and don't promote a false peace. Now, most of those are in the Bible, you, you recognize, but the false peace one is interesting. And what he means by that is, like, don't just cover over things. So it's almost like honesty combined with peace. Like, you've got to be honest and you've got to make peace. Peace is, not, peace is not acting like everything's okay. But honesty doesn't mean you fight all the time. They've got to go together. And the way they go together is just basically in this word risk which is the opposite of control. A risk that instead of having the corners um, knocked off, we're worried that we might get rejected completely. We're worried that this process of being honest with other people will expose us, and then they'll know who we really are, and then they'll throw us away, and we won't be accepted. This is why we resist peace, but it's also precisely why we need it. We need it. Peace is two things. It's a practice, it's a way of being, but it's also a belief, a conviction. We are meant to build peace on the one hand, but we're also building on a peace that already exists. Peace lets us take the risk of honesty. When a lot of woodworkers start out, this was true of me, um, I made a lot of mistakes. And I blamed all my mistakes on the tools and the wood. Ah, this wood is garbage. Look at the grain in this thing. It's going all over the place. How can anybody claim this? Or, you know, oh, I, don't, I need a better tool. I need a nicer tool. I need a more expensive tool. I need other tools. I only have 15 chisels. I probably need 20 chisels. Then I'd be able to do this. Uh, I have a, a plane that's, you know, five inches long. I need the seven and a half inch long plane in order to be able to do it. On and on and on and on. That's what we do. Eventually, uh, woodworkers like myself find out that the trouble is with us and our own skill. It's not actually the wood and it's not the tools. It, yes, it is. Yes, it is. The question is, how are we using the tool? And the question is, is how are we selecting the wood? Are we fitting the right wood for the right project? And so it is with being human. It's easy to blame the people around us. It's easy to blame society. It's easy to blame a lack of resources. I don't have enough of this, I don't have enough of that. But we always have all that we need to make peace. And if we don't see it, we have only to go back to the rule of Christ and see that he gives us all that we need.
Eventually, woodworkers begin to see that every piece of wood is useful. And this, this can become a sickness, to be honest. Um, you know, what happens is, is you look at a piece of board with a great big knot in it, but you see the grain going around it and you think, oh, how lovely. See how it curves around. That would make a great crest for a chair. Or, you know, let's say hypothetically you have a 2003 gray pickup and you have a piece of wood that's been floating around the back there for um, a year, um, but you can't bear to get rid of it because there's some really interesting grain in there and you think, oh, wouldn't that make a wonderful lid to a box? Hypothetically. Just throwing it out there. Peace says everyone is essential. We just, we just start there. Peace says we're not, we're not going to do this thing where like, you know, some, some are in and some are out or anything like that. And some are in the club and some are outside of the club. Some are smart enough to be in. Some are not smart enough. Some are, you know, uh, you know, uh, gosh, the list is long, right? The, the list is long. You know, some people don't have the abilities, you know, they're cognitively, they don't have the ability. So they're out of the club. Or they're from a different country, and so they're out of the club. Or they don't have the right documentation, so they're out of the club. Or they're super duper young, and so they're out of the club. Or they're really, really old, and so they're out of the club. You know, on and on and on. So, peace is saying everybody's already here. Everybody's already needed in the community. That's how we start. And then it's just a matter of how do we all fit together. And it's hard work to fit together. That's why we need all those tools. But it's not just the tools, it's why we need the time. It's why we need to every day pick up that tool and use it. If I picked up one of Nate's dad's tools, I wouldn't know what I'm doing and I'd make a mess of the whole thing. But when he picks it up, he makes a masterpiece. So it's, that's, that's the challenge. That's the challenge with being human. Honesty and peace, these are the tools we use to become fully human. And the workshop is community. And then the last thing is the rule or the measure. The rule or the measure. The rule or the measure is Christ. Sometimes we think of Jesus as like this unattainable ideal. Like we'll never be like Jesus. But that's not the point of Jesus. That's not like what he was doing when he became human. He was trying to show us a liberating reality. He's not a far off point that we'll never get to. He's, he's a liberating reality of what we can be if we follow him, of what it means to be human. He frees us to be human. There's a kind of, uh, you know, you, you're familiar with rulers, obviously. Raise your hand if you've ever seen a ruler. Yeah, so we all, we all know what rulers are. Um, but there's another, there's another way of measuring things in woodworking called a story stick. So it's just, it's, usually it's a long piece of wood with no numbers on it at all. But it's got all the lengths you need for whatever project you're doing. So if you're doing a chair, it's got the length for the back, it's got the length for the front, it's got a length for the rungs, it's got a length for the slats, it's got a, a length for every single thing. You just need this stick of wood, and what you do is you put it up against your wood and you mark it, and you figure out, oh, okay, so that's, that's how long the, the back post is going to be, and this is how long the rungs are going to be, and, and that's your story stick. Jesus is our story stick. We take Jesus to everything and we match it up and we say, does this match up to the story of Jesus? 
And if it does, then we're entering into the liberating reality, then we're entering into full humanity. If it doesn't match up, then we've got to do something different. We've got to find an alternative. The story stick is the gospel, the story of Jesus. And we're constantly bringing our lives up to that story stick to match it up over and over again. And look, it's going to take time. Skills aren't easy to learn. It might take a whole lifetime. But this is, this is the gift that we've been given. We've been given a community in order to work. This is our workshop here. We've been given tools of honesty and peace to do the hard work set out before us. And most of all, we've been given the time by Christ to get to work, to make mistakes, to fail, to pick up, to keep going. So that one day we can measure up to the new creation, Paul calls it, that's rooted in peace and mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and may it be planted in our hearts and grow and bear fruit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.